Oh yeah. Canceled too soon. A podcast. Podcast. About TV. Television shows. That were. That were very, very short. Canceled too soon. One season or less. Oh yeah. This week on Canceled Too Soon. The Master. He's the supreme warrior. Even his eyes can kill you. His student is the supreme heartthrob. His eyes can melt you. Oh, oh God, I'm melting! Melting! No! <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a film critic for Crave Online and Blumhouse.com. Everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold, and I own you. Oh! No, I don't own you. That's Disney. Uh, oh! My, my name is Whitney Seibold. I'm a film... That was a thing. Yeah, they, they own you. Oh. They, 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 had, they bought your birth certificate a while back. Oh, that must be why I your don't na- like some of those DC movies. Your name is now Stitch. Uh, <laughs> they, I'm going to name you after characters in their parking lot. My name is Whitney Seibold. I'm a, a film critic of some renown. Uh, well, maybe not renown, but of, of, okay. of some wor- workaday you're, output. You're not nobody. I'm not nobody. Yeah. I've appeared on the radio and stuff. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Live it. Uh, it. Yeah, I, can, I contribute to Crave Online and Blumhouse.com, occasionally Legion of Leia, and sometimes Nerdist.com. Ooh. And anybody who will have me. Yes, and we have you right here on Cancel mm-hmm. Too Soon. I'm also the co-host of the B-Movies podcast. From Whence We from Hail. From Whence We Hail. Uh, and this week on Cancel Too Soon, we're very excited because we're doing a couple of MST3K, Mystery Science Theater 3000, themed episodes because Mystery Science Theater 3000 is coming back. Uh, on Netflix in the very, very near future, and we thought They're, this was a good opportunity to revisit some old crap. And uh, this is not uh, a reboot or a restart. They're considering this season 11. Yes. And uh, as you may recall from, uh, I think it was the fourth season of Mystery Science Theater 3000, okay. uh, they had two movies. One was called Master Ninja. Yeah. Or maybe it was just Master Ninja 1. Mm. It's dif- it's unclear. Yes. Uh the other one was called Master Ninja 2. Yeah. And those were not mm-hmm. technically movies. Those were actually... No. Um, there was a time when... And we've talked about this a little bit before, uh, in which like TV pilots would sometimes get repackaged mm-hmm. as movies, sometimes TV movies, sometimes theatrical releases overseas. But mm-hmm. every once in a while, and you saw this in some, usually in bigger stuff like Battlestar Galactica or The Man from Uncle shows with mm-hmm. some real money behind them. They just shoved two episodes together. Usually it was a two-parter. And show well, that as a movie. T- like, uh, when they did this with The Man from Uncle, uh, and The Man from, or, uh, yeah, The Man, or, yeah, uh, Man, from Man, Man from Uncle did yeah. this a lot. Uh, they did have, like, two part episode extravaganzas. Yeah. They would recut them, uh, release them on 35 and 16 millimeter film, and throw, show them in theaters because this was before, uh, VCRs, of course, and before reruns were really kind of in heavy rotation the way they were. Uh, so yeah, they'd repackage them as single, uh, movies. And that tradition somehow continued even into the era of VCRs and reruns. Uh, so by the time this series came out in 1984, they were still rolling it along. Master Ninja 
came out, Master Ninja 2 came out, and in fact, this entire series, all 13 episodes, was repackaged as seven films. Yes, and indeed, uh, they were going to do another Master Ninja on mm-hmm. MST3K, but they ended up going another direction, and they ended up never doing another episode with the Master Ninja, but this was released under the titles of The Return of the Master Ninja, mm-hmm. Ninja, The Shadows Kill, Ninja, Warrior of the Night, The Ninja Strikes, and The Ninja Man. <laughs> which sounds like a pop song from the 60s. Like they would have like ripped mm. off Secret Agent Man and done like that crappy subpar version. <laughs> uh it, it was uh the band that did Secret Agent Man, their their attempt at to sort of cash in on the fame of the first one. Yeah, of course. Uh, that, that's what they did. Often they would like mm. do like a, if you were a one-hit wonder, you tried to re- recoup that hit. <laughs> like, the Kung Fu Fighting Guy did, like, another song called, about Kung Fu Fighting. It was called Dance the Kung Fu. Yeah. Carl Douglas. Yeah. yeah that, that was a sad, sad right. chapter in anyone's uh, career. All of these uh, rather intriguing-sounding films uh, began their life as this week's uh, ex- uh, our little experiment. Our own <laughs> little experiment, <laughs> yes. as it were. Uh, so send in the movie, Whitney. Uh, this, is, <laughs> this is a little show from 1984 called The Master. The old man hired you. I am not for hire. I thought this was a partnership. I told you when you're ready. The master. Mostly sound effects. Mostly sound effects. <laughs> this is, you know, we, we try to like find like mm. uh, old like commercials and stuff to play for you guys now. Um, and the older the show is, and the less popular the show is, the less likely we are to find it. Uh, so that was actually sort of a previous or the coming up this week on the master mm. segment, and it was a little hard to follow. But you know what? So's the show. So we thought it was quite appropriate. Uh, the master. Mm-hmm. Is is a television series that ran on NBC from mm-hmm. January twentieth through August thirty first, which is a little misleading. It ran through May, and then they burned off the last couple of episodes in the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, it starred Lee Van Cleef, uh, who you know probably best from The Good and Bad and the Ugly. For a few dollars more, he did a lot of classic westerns mm-hmm. in particular, but he was also in stuff like Escape from New York or uh, uh, My Mother the Car. Uh, he he always looked old. Yeah. I, I recently watched his episode of My Mother the Car, which was from like 1965. Yeah, he was like 40, and, and he he looks the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, this in 1984 was he died in 1989. Mm-hmm. Uh, legend in his own right. Uh, always looked like he had just like opened up a. a, a jar of mayonnaise that had gone bad like it had that that was just sort of his he had resting disgust face yeah it made him a good character actor yeah for sure he always looked really serious about everything Mm -hmm. and you could put that in any situation if it was like a a weird situation you could milk it for comedy um and if it was anything sort of life or death you bought that lee van cleef was involved Mm -hmm. and that he could handle it uh, although the master, to be perfectly fair, is kind of on the wane of his career. Oh no, the, the master uh, is the master <laughs> is a show that Lee Van Cleef, quite frankly, was too old to be doing. Uh, the and master the, is a television series in which Lee Van Cleef plays uh, the only "quote unquote" Occidental American mm-hmm. uh, to be to achieve the rank of ninja. Master Master Ninja. Particularly Master Ninja, but I think mm. any ninja really. Mm. Apparently there's some other guys have had ninja training, but he's the ninja. Yeah, he he uh his backstory is that he was a soldier in World War II, became mm. interested in Japanese culture, moved there, became Master Ninja. Yeah. Then 
many uh, years later, many years later, later, found out uh, he had a daughter that he previ- an adult daughter that he previously didn't know about. Decided to leave the ninja clan. I guess they live in clans in this universe. Yep, and uh, go back to America where she is to find her. Yes, and uh, this and is this, pre- this is pre-internet. So basically, he's doing like the Terminator thing where he's just looking up every single woman named Terry McAllister oh. in the hopes that that's going to be his daughter. His and name he runs is... into a whole bunch of fake ones, which is really weird. Right. We'll his, talk about that. His name is John Peter McAllister, and they use all three of his names every time they mention his name, John Peter McAllister. Which makes you wonder if maybe this is going to be like a dead zone thing, and that he was going to turn out to be like a presidential assassin or something at the end, like that was going to be the big plot at the end of no, the series. No. So, Probably uh, not, but that's my, that's my theory. He goes to America. In pursuit is uh, his stuntman. <laughs> <laughs> the, no, great, the, the great uh, Sho Kosugi. Sho Kosugi plays... Uh, uh, Two roles. Co- Two roles plays uh, not Kosho. What Okasa. Is, Okasa. Yeah. Okasa oh. is is the master mm. is Lee Van Cleef's old protege. Mm. And when Lee Van Cleef decided to leave the Ninja Order, they sent Okasa after him to kill him so that they could preserve all of their ninja secrets. Right. So Okasa keeps popping up in most episodes, but not every episode, yeah. either directly involved in the plot or just sort of like Peter Sellers' like, yeah. like butler from mm. the, the Pink Panther movies, just to sort of attack <laughs> him from out of nowhere if it was going to be kind of a light on action episode. Uh, well, but my, the other that, that was that was did. that was my wife's theory was that he wasn't really an enemy; he was just there to keep the master sharp. Yeah, but the other thing Shokasugi does besides mm. play that character is every time Lee Van Cleef puts on his ninja outfit, it's just Shokasugi. Yeah, because Lee Van Cleef was already in his late fifties when this show came out. He was he probably wasn't much of a ninja to begin with, but whenever they needed him to do cool ninja stuff, they just in the first few episodes mm. they put him in the ninja outfit, and it was clearly Shokasugi, Shokasugi in there because you could tell yeah. he lost quite a few pounds. He was and very nimble, he, but he, he shrank like half a foot. It was yeah. it was pretty obvious. But in later episodes, I think they realized that that was too obvious, so they put Shokasugi in a Lee Van Cleef mask. I, I'm sure they cast it on his face. It's convincing, sure. f- convincing enough in long shots. It's convincing from afar. <laughs> But mm-hmm. it's also clearly not Lee Van Cleef. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty. You can no. get away with it if you used it sparingly, but they don't. They rely on it a lot. Lee Van Cleef. It's, it's just like it's like watching that Magic Mountain old man breakdancer. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh God! Like he's oh, Lee Van Cleef stunt double. Like that's oh, what it feels. Oh, like. Oh gee, and now I'm just thinking of of Remember trash that? humpers. Imagine if, Bre- uh, if Bad Grandpa was a ninja. That's what you got. Uh, the ninja outfit is never used for reasons of stealth. In fact, it makes him stand out more yeah. because he doesn't sneak around in it. He just drives around in his A-team van <laughs> and just sort of gets out of a van wearing this ninja outfit and kind of adjusts the mask over his face a little his bit. His excuse is it's traditional. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's also very traditional. The show is very concerned with uh, tradition. Now, in, in the pilot episode, he also accumulates his sidekick, who is yes. played by Timothy Van Patten, Dick Van Patten's little brother. Yes, Timothy Van Patten, who at the time uh, was best known for co-starring in The White Shadow, which was a relatively popular television series. He was also, also the the evil teen villain in Class of 1984, which the, is an awesome movie. And if you remember, if you've watched the Master Ninja episodes of Mystery Science Theater 3000, mm-hmm. they made a lot of fun of Timothy Van Patten. They made him. Mm. They made him fun out of like the way he enunciated, which I thought they exaggerated slightly. They made him he, make like a much. He's mouth. got a really broad, joisy yeah. accent, and it's yeah. it's never downplayed. <laughs> he yeah. he sounds like some kid off of the Jersey streets. Yeah, but 
it's not quite as bad as they said, and they always made it seem like, oh, Timothy Van Patten, his whole career is a joke. His later career is no joke. Since them making fun of him, he moved into some of the more high-profile HBO shows. He has directed episodes, many episodes of HBO shows like The Sopranos, The Boardwalk Empire. He even directed the pilot episode of Game of Thrones. He's got <laughs> he, Emmy nominations. He he's very successful. He, the he Wire. Did, he did the, the Wire. The Wire. He did Sex in the City, for goodness yeah, sake. He's yeah, he's very successful now. Good for you, Timothy Van Patten. But when I meet you, I will be the one bringing up the master. That's the first thing we're bringing we up have is to the talk master. About this because he plays Max Keller, a guy who, before the like show he, begins, is employed as a wandering adventurer. Yeah, like that's, yeah. that's how he starts he's the all, show before the plot kicks in. Look, I, I I put this out on Twitter and uh, asked, you know, what what is the first of the sort of wandering helper TV series? Right, because the the earliest I could think of was Kung Fu. About sort of this Zen master who just drifts from town to town, helping mm-hmm. people that just happen to wander into his path that need help. Mm-hmm. Getting and, into uh, adventures. Uh, somebody mentioned the Incredible Hulk, but that was later. That was, that was, later. That was uh, the earliest, Kung Fu was seventy two. Yeah, the earliest uh, one I can think of uh-huh. uh, is actually, and there were other like sort of like cowboy shows, but there was always a justification for that. Yeah. The one that I can think of that, other than the reason why he's on the run, there was no justification for why he ran into so many interesting stories. Was the Fugitive right? The Fugitive. These are all stories, and I think The Fugitive really is the template on which most of these are based, mm-hmm. in which someone just wanders the earth, to quote uh, uh, Pulp Fiction, <laughs> wanders the earth, and just stumbles into things. Most episodes of The Master begin with The Master and Max stumbling across like, a woman being chased by killers. Yeah, yeah. This happens the, she, like eight times. Eight, eight times out of the 13 episodes. Sometimes she's uh, some sort of uh, trained warrior-esse. Yeah. Uh, sometimes she's a plucky reporter. Yeah. Uh, for the most part, though, they are always involved in some sort of really rich intrigue. Yeah. And, it, and, and they literally, in one episode, she literally runs in front of their van. Yeah. Like she runs out of a puff of dust and just is there and... That's that's their episode. That's it. That's oh, oh, thank goodness we didn't have an episode this week until you showed up. This just there's one episode where they're in the middle of the desert. They're not even on the road. Uh-huh. And a kid runs by, being chased by redneck villains <laughs> who are shooting at him, and he's a small child. And I'm like, boy, it's a good thing we were literally in the middle of nowhere. Uh-huh. Like because because otherwise, and my theory is this: you can tell how good a person you are, like how noble. Uh-huh. How, heroic, how heroic a person you are by how often you stumble across crimes. <laughs> well, if you I, don't stumble if, across if crimes, you think about it, you're not living a rich enough life. Th- think of a, a TV series like Doctor Who. It's like they get in the TARDIS, and sometimes the TARDIS just like takes them to where. The, like, there's some well, sort the of TARDIS actually says that she does that on purpose. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that. It can sense some sort of cosmic imbalance in the yeah. quantum leap sense, and I'm guessing <laughs> that's what uh, the master he like he has this innate sense to just sort of drift toward helplessness. He goes where he's needed. He has a sixth sense about these things. It's never explained. That's something you have to fill in on your own. But <laughs> I'm guessing it can't possibly be quite that random. Alright, the master was created by a man named Michael Sloan. Michael Sloan had a very long and storied career in television. He produced Battlestar Galactica, The Equalizer, which was a huge hit, uh, turned into a somewhat respectable movie, uh-huh. uh, and also did a series we're going to try to track down called Sword of Justice. <laughs> His sword is just... is it's just a sword. Just a sword is... Hmm. 
Yeah. Also, the the kind of cool Waka Chicka Waka Chicka theme song oh, uh, right. was, of course, composed by the great oh. Bill Conti. Right. Bill Conti was a composer who did soundtracks that sounded like they were from the 70s and 80s. Mm. Like, well, that he, was his style. He he did the very famous theme to Rocky. Yes, that was his uh, big deal. He was also, I think he won an Academy Award for The Right Stuff. Can I, can I play you something? Can you? Uh, yes. Now, Bill Conti's theme song was, as it turns out, used in an Atari video game, but pre-Atari. It was for... Uh, it was a... A computer game for something called the ZX Spectrum. Okay. What was the name of the game? Uh, it was called Ninja Master. That's the theme song from the ZX Spectrum. That is great. That's the Bill Conti theme song, which I'm guessing nobody asked for permission for. Well, they used to do that a lot. Like, wasn't, uh, um, oh, what was that one uh, car chasing game where they used... Oh, Rad Racer. Uh, was it Rad Racer that had uh, the theme from uh, uh, Gun? What was it? Oh, oh, oh uh, 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 you're thinking of the Peter Gunn theme the song. Peter, the Peter uh, no, Gunn that, that was Spy Hunter. Spy Hunter had yeah. the Peter Gunn theme song, mm. and you fucking better believe they didn't ask anybody for that, which is why you <laughs> can't like, get that version. Um, no one cared. No just, one cared back then. No what are you going to do? Take our quarters away? Yeah. The, 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 although it was lucrative, it wasn't so lucrative that a TV studio felt the need to sort of go after them. So, yeah, if, if you can find an old arcade cabinet of Spy Hunter, yeah, uh, yeah play it. It's just Peter Gunn. Now, the master, the master obviously comes from a couple of different things. One is, well, we got Lee Van Cleef. What can we do with him? And uh, you'll notice that even like these sort of, you know, at the end of TV shows, they have that little image of like the production company uh-huh. logo, like, you know, the guy typing and throwing the piece of paper behind him. Mm. It's always producer Michael Sloan and Lee Van Cleef sort of smiling and giving you that <laughs> thumbs up. So like clearly this was a Lee Van Cleef kind of passion project. Like he was really down for this. He thought this was really cool. I don't, I don't think so. I think it was the producer who just happened to have taken a picture with Lee Van Cleef <laughs> was like, hey, remember us? We're friends. And Lee Van Cleef said, well, I'll work for you. Yeah, I don't know. But uh, uh, this is also the height, mm-hmm. at least until Turtles came around, of the ninja boom. Uh, the early ninth, 80s was rife with ninjas. Now, a lot of people like to say how uh, Japanese culture started to really infuse American culture and inform a lot of American mm-hmm. entertainment and how anime was sort of this mm-hmm. insidiously secret but hugely influential format that was that kind was, of leaking in a little bit later. That wasn't really so much until the 90s. I suppose It was really not, hard but, to get anime until the 90s. And even in the 90s, uh, well, it was still pretty it, hard. In the 80s, we still had stuff like Gigantor and Speed Racer. It was making its way in. But it was. Uh, I'm just saying even that was somewhat framed mm-hmm. and it was considered kid stuff the take the anime seriously as an art form mm. that, that started with akira pro- prominently with akira mm. anyway yeah uh but but ninjas if, were where it was at ninjas were where it was at ninjas were and this wasn't because of any sort of uh ninja craze that was going on in japan no. the ninja craze was started by israeli producers i it, i had this weird revelation because between haim saban and the guys over at canon Israeli producers brought ninjas <laughs> to the U.S. That's a slight exaggeration. Not because, really. If you well, look at all of the biggest ninja films, uh, Enter the Ninja, Return of the Ninja, Ninja 3, Ninja, well, not Ninja Turtles, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 what was um, what was the other? Shokasuga. Shokasuga was in a lot of these. He was in Enter the Ninja, Revenge yeah. of the Ninja, Ninja 3, The Domination, which is fucking weird. That, sh- that is a That's ninja movie crossed with The Exorcist. With with uh, aerobics instructors. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
But I think I think that's a big part of it. They they saw this sort of ninja trend. They said it was it was exotic. It was action packed, um, and it allowed for a lot of stunt doubles. Uh, but yeah. I think the other thing that I think sometimes people forget about it is that um, this was also a transition where we had uh, the sort of the kung fu boom. In mm. the 70s, particularly with Bruce Lee, but a lot of the, uh, especially a lot of the uh, competitors at the time, Bruce Lai, a lot of the guys who came by after oh, Bruce the, Lee. Oh, there, there were scores of Kung Fu movies. Tons. Yeah. But, um, you know, there was an evolution there. Where do we, where do we go? Mm. And ninjas were from another uh, a, a, a close geographic region. <laughs> they had a similar exoticness to it. There was still a lot of fights. There were some Kung was, Fu it, movies that had ninjas in them, but... Ninjas uh, were a little bit more tech based. They had more widgets and gadgets yeah. than they were Lots about mar- martial arts. Yeah. The, yeah, the throwing stars and the flying hooks and the climbing claws and all the rest of that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. That was the purview of the ninja. Uh, and <laughs> it, they they sort of straddled uh, martial arts and superheroes in a lot of ways because they had they sort of had the outfit, but they were always villains or assassins. Yeah. Nin- ninjas are a real thing, but everything we know about ninjas we owe to uh, Menachem Golan and Yoram Globus. Really, pretty much. <laughs> So the master came out, and it was trying to tap into that. It was another adventure series along the sort of Manimal and Night Rider and A Team mold. A lot, lot uh, of uh, Incredible Hulk, yeah. Know, too. Basically, they were all superheroes, mm. but they weren't all called superheroes. The master had a costume. Uh, he, he just wandered America, getting into adventures, looking for his daughter. By the end of the series, not spoiler doing, alert, never found her. But we'll talk a bit about that. Not not doing too much very strenuous ninja. Thing. Not like one or <laughs> Over two the things of the per episode, but it was obvious. You know, the other thing I want to talk about when it comes to action cinema, because this is an action-packed show for a, for a series at the time. Uh, there's a lot of fights in every episode. There's car chases. There's helicopters. One of the running gags, in fact, is that Timothy Van, Van Patten is constantly being thrown out of bar windows. Yeah, this happens like <laughs> seven times in 13 <laughs> episodes. It's actually kind of funny. And when, um, and when we're introduced to his father in one of those episodes, that's how we're introduced to his father as well. His father gets thrown through a plate glass window. That's that's, that's actually pretty funny, and yeah. I'm going to let the, the master have that. But <laughs> when we talk about how Lee Van Cleef, again, badass actor, but guy in his late 50s who probably can't walk a tightrope between two skyscrapers like mm-hmm. he has to do in the show. And is um, never fully convincing as sort of a, a calm zen master. No, he's he's a little too mm-hmm. um, he's a little too broy. Yeah, like he, 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 he actually develops like a good rapport with uh, Timothy Van Patten over time, where they talk about like attractive ladies uh-huh. and like getting drunk. Like I buy that they're friends. I don't necessarily buy that he's a ninja master, or 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 that Timothy Van Patten is taking his studies seriously as a ninja student. Because mm. first of all, Lee Van Cleef has you know the outfit. Which he's constantly pulling down and showing off his face. There's several scenes where he pulls it like down across his mouth, so you have it like right underneath his little it looks resplendent like a mustache. Outfit. Yeah, it, <laughs> I was about to say it looks like he's about to go diving. Yeah, and uh, Timothy Van Patten, Hawaiian shirt, jeans. He's never in like a ninja outfit. He Can't never does anything bothered. stealthy. Uh, he has he has a turtleneck once. A turtleneck. Remember the turtleneck? He said, I have, nin- I have a turtleneck. I don't know if I'm ready for that outfit yet. The ninja turtleneck. Yes, that was that was going to take the world so, by storm. But there's the reason, not a lot of ninja in but the, the master. Reason, the reason I bring that up, though, is that it was so obviously a stunt double. No. Every, oh, God. Stop Sorry. that. Sorry about Every that. episode lately you do that. <laughs> take a drink every time Whitney forgets to turn off his phone. I had to turn it on to play the master theme. You had so. to turn it off again afterwards like a professional. <laughs> it was so obviously a stunt double all the time. And that's... Mm. We were used to be expected to just sort of take that for granted. 
Of course it's not Lee Van Cleef. But someone's doing it. Yeah. Isn't that neat? This is the reason why Jackie Chan was such a revelation when he came out and like when he started directing his own stuff and really doing his own stunts in the early and mid 80s. All of a sudden, holy shit, the star of the movie is actually doing that. Yeah. Yeah. That meant something. Nowadays, you know, it's it's weird when we see like a kung fu or a serious action movie where it's obviously a stunt double. Like they're either better at hiding it. Or they're, oh, no. actually, they're actually doing a lot of it now. The, Mainstream Hollywood stuff, not so much. But now they're hiding it with editing. They're not hiding well, it with obvious stunt They're dogs. hiding it with editing, and now they have digital effects. They yeah. can, like, erase a stunt person's face, and uh, and then they, you know, change the speed and, you know, put in some digital models and some of the fun. So, yeah, it's it's not necessarily convincing, but uh, it all it's looks a lot slicker. Yeah. yeah, it's better than the alternative. All right, so let's talk about uh, episode one. Mm. Of the master episode one is not called pilot, so already bonus points for me. <laughs> it's one of my pet peeves. Uh, episode one is called Max. Mm. It is to the Max, and it opens with uh, uh, Max. Of course, gives us his uh, uh, monologue every episode, a little voiceover. Well, he he describes who the master is every episode, right? And the first uh, the, episode, this, he this starts is something with, we saw in Manimal, and I guess mm. this was common at the time, where an episode would start with sort of a preview of what we were about to see, like a few little snippets. Yeah, that's what we heard at then, the beginning here. With then we'd clip. have the uh, theme music, and then we'd have a narration explaining the premise of the show, and then the drama would begin. Mm-hmm. So every show had three beginnings, and frankly, it's, it gets a little tedious after a while. <laughs> Um, but, Are you kidding? It it shortens a forty five minute episode down to a thirty nine minute episode. Okay, I guess there's a bonus. <laughs> um, but it opens with him saying, "Hi, I'm Max Keller. This is how I usually leave a bar." And he just gets thrown through a window like right. in a silent movie, and it's actually kind of funny. Uh, this episode is also directed by Robert Klaus, which is the other thing that's trying to class up the joint. Robert Klaus is a name that not everyone probably knows now, but at the time he was best known for directing Bruce Lee's biggest hit movie. And it's still a great movie. Enter the dragon, which makes me wonder if you have a movie about a wandering ninja master and you want an aging seventies action star who's convincing as a ninja master, why on earth did you not cast John Saxon? Because John Saxon would have been so much better in this. But John Saxon, if you watch Enter the Dragon, John Saxon's gag is that he's actually not a good fighter. He's a trickster. Well, like he knew a little bit, but he's not I, but like, I, I could buy him as a ninja master. He's already could, associated with Bruce Lee. But Bruce Lee's new kung the, fu ninja is a is a different country and it's a different martial art. I, I suppose so, but it's still a martial artist. He's associated yes. with the martial arts, okay, is my fine, point, thanks fine. to his association with uh, Enter the Dragon. But uh, Robert Klaus, this, is, this episode is probably better directed than any other. Uh, and you can tell that Robert Klaus has an eye for action. The fight scenes look a little better. Uh-huh. Uh, the explosions and the the uh, the big set pieces just feel a little bigger. And it, I think that's a big part of it. It's also it's, a lot more focused than most of the other episodes, which is sort of... Yeah. A lot of them kind of meander. I lose sight of the plot because nobody seems to care for a long time. A lot of these episodes are really disposable and mm. interchangeable. And it just feels... And it's because this has this episodic structure in which it feels like Max and the Master just sort of wander into a different movie and yeah, then just sort of interject well, and then leave. And the, the premise of the show isn't just that they help people. They specifically help uh, attractive damsels in distress. Right. And so every episode, it's uh, they run aground on a pretty lady, and she says, I have this problem with these mobsters, spies, bikers, whatever it is, mm-hmm. and they go about helping her in 
sort of this protracted well, fashion where sometimes they fight guys and sometimes they sneak around. One of the one of the problems with this show is when you look at most episodic shows, and we've t- made fun of this a little bit before mm. when we talk about sort of pitching ideas for other shows or f- future episodes. Mm. There's the A plot, which is the action movie plot. Mm. And then there's the B plot, which is usually something maybe a little lighter, a little quirkier, something that's a bit more based on character development, perhaps, and they intersect by the end. The master usually doesn't have that. Mm. Usually it's, oh no, uh, David McCallum from The Man from Uncle has taken hostages at a senator's party. Meanwhile, that's, meanwhile always leads to the B plot. Uh-huh. Meanwhile, Max might get laid. That's yeah. <laughs> usually the B plot. Is Max might get, they were really selling you really hard on the sexual power of Timothy Van Patten. <laughs> okay, Timothy, and Timothy Van Patten, for those of you who haven't seen this movie, for those of you who haven't seen Timothy Van Patten mm-hmm. in the early 80s, imagine Jason Siegel with a mullet being treated unironically as a sex god. Uh, to, That's Timothy Van Patten. He does have a uh, um, a sort of proto Dempsey look about him. Uh, this oh. no D- Dempsey was only like ten when this came out. But you mean uh, Patrick Dempsey, by uh, the way, just so we're clear. Yes. Okay, just checking. I didn't want to make sure we didn't think like like Jack Dempsey, Don, Donna Dempsey. No, yeah, no okay, Patrick okay. Dempsey. Uh, Patrick Dempsey was only a couple of years out from like from doing like Can't Buy Me Love. I guess so. But he yeah. was he was young. He, he was, was a still te- young. He was a teenager yeah, he was in that I uh, a lot of guys from this era, especially the ones with mullets, always, always to me look like rejected members of Rockapella. Yes, uh, Rockapella, like they were really on point when it came to their fashion. Yes, uh, Sean Altman from Rockapella had a mullet, but he had he had styled his mullet into multiple tiny braids mm-hmm. that he had bleached blonde and tipped with beads. Mm-hmm. It is the most 80s possible hairdo <laughs> you could even conceive of. And literally, had it. literally the only human being who ever kind of got away with that haircut. <laughs> Sean Altman literally from Rockapella. Yeah. yeah, so Timothy Van Fadden couldn't quite put it together. Uh, the plot of Max... Mm. Is that Max is already wandering America. Why? Well, working is hard. He's in a van. <laughs> His van comes equipped with a gerbil, like in the dashboard. It has, never really gets a subplot, but it's always there. The, and the gerbil is named Henry. Yes, just like your son. Uh-huh. That must have been weird for you. Uh, it wasn't a gerbil. It's it's is a, it a, a Syrian hamster. How do you know that? Well, Syrian hamster. There's the, those big orange ones. Okay, Those I are never, Syrian hamsters. I never got a good look at it. I don't know if I was surprised you well, really it was, know it. It was gigantic. It was the size of an armadillo. It, was, <laughs> it wasn't hard to spot. Apologies. I guess you, I, I, guess you, I don't know my hamsters. You couldn't well even you. shove it in a leaf blower. It was that large. <laughs> Why would you do that? Why would you do that? Because it's fun to shove hamsters in a leaf blower. No one is Fire them across the lawn. Cancel too soon does not endorse that behavior. <laughs> Um, Max is wandering the earth uh-huh. when Demi Moore, mm-hmm. yes, Demi yeah. Moore, Demi Moore yeah. one year away from breaking out in St. Elmo's fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's post-parasite, however. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. She runs in front of his van, says, help a sheriff. The sheriff of the town has just tried to rape me. Also, don't change the radio station. I like classical music. But the sheriff of this town has just tried to rape me. Please take me to my father's. Uh, airport. Okay. 
That's the events that transpire. The sheriff doesn't try to pull him over, just starts shooting at Max's van. Just not suspicious at all. Drop you in the deep end mm. of this weird, rejected, walking tall subplot. <laughs> and just like throw even, it away. Even Renegade would have done this more subtly. Yeah. Uh, and and that's that's uh Sets the tone and the structure for the rest of the show as yeah. as women just sort of run in front of this guy. Uh, Demi Moore, uh, someone's trying. Uh, Clue Gulliger, the great Clue yes. Gulliger, who I'm sure we'll run into a lot on Clu- Cancel Too Soon. Clu- He's one of those character actors in everything, and uh, who is a regular at the movie theater where I uh, moonlight yeah. as a projectionist. Yeah, he- uh, I met him. He's a nice guy, uh, and he was in everything. So again, we'll mm. see him a lot. He is the rich businessman who's trying to buy the land because business. And they don't want to because memories. So he's going to blow it up because bad guy. Mm. Max decides to go to a bar where he meets the master because the master found out that his daughter was a pilot. Terry McAllister. Terry McAllister, we never meet her. All we see is like a picture, but the face is kind of hazy, all, so all you we, know like we know they're going to her later. Over the course of the series, we re- learn that she uh, was a model at one point, yes. and also that she like took an interest in his pilot career, so she became a pilot herself. Mm-hmm. And does like airplane races. Yeah. They mentioned that once. Uh, but that's about it, really. We never really got a good, a good knowledge of her. So he's tracking her down. All he knows is she was at this airport. So he's at the bar. Max runs afoul of the sheriff again. There's a big fight. Lee Van Cleef like the, knocks over the, a whole the, bunch of arcade machines. The first of maybe eight uh, barroom brawls. He does grievous damage to a pinball machine, and I cannot abide by there that. There is no excuse. People just fell in pinball machines a lot. Yeah, back in the day. That's why we had them, really. And and I I just say oh I, I could have bought that pinball machine. I know it's I'd a tragedy. Put, it's a tragedy every put, time. Put put it in my future arcade that I don't have yet. I'm sorry, sir. <laughs> um, but Max is wowed by Lee Van Cleef, and he says, "Train me, train me, for I too must ninja." And Lee Van Cleef is, "No, you young bad emotions, not good ninja." And then Max and him eventually team up, and Max becomes his apprentice. The the, the dialogue is more graceful than that, but Slightly, not by much. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not go nuts. Uh, to be fair, like you said, Lee Van Cleef has the appropriate amount of gravitas, so it looks like he does at least have ninja knowledge when he uh, reads these lines. Oh, he says some bullshit lines, too. Like, he's, like But Max- he says it, there, there's a certain breed of actor who can take really nonsensical dialogue and make it seem perfectly natural and even kind of serious. Well, the- Patrick Stewart is the master of this. Yes, the Lee Van Cleef has some real crap to say. Like, here's 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 an exchange mm-hmm. between Lee Van Cleef and Timothy Van Patten. When Timothy oh, Van you, Patten you wrote says, it down. I, this was just so great. Right. Timothy Van Patten says, good luck finding your daughter. And Lee Van Cleef says, good luck finding yourself. <laughs> I can't sell that line. Lee Van Cleef can kind of sell oh. that line. But even that's a miracle. You had me at hello. So they fight Clue Gulliger, which isn't much of a fight, and then Okasa, again, played by the great Shokasugi, shows up, and I'm pretty sure Shokasugi is fighting himself Some trick editing. Somehow, like, I don't know who the other stuntman was, because Shokasugi has to fight another guy who knows martial arts, mm-hmm. and that's clearly, like, since he's already Lee Van Cleef, mm-hmm. is he also... Osaka, Okasa. There in those might scenes? be some trick editing. He might just have a good stunt guy, but really, you know, no, they're on camera at the same time. I know, any, so, yeah. I'm just saying, anyone who is 
impressed by any of the action in the show. Mm. This is the show Kasugi show. He plays the he did, villain. He did he plays all of the, the hero, all of the fight choreography. And he did the fight choreography and like the stunts. This was it's sad that he didn't get the credit for all of this. Like he got the credit in the credits, oh. but Lee Van Cleef is saying, "Yeah, I totally am doing all that." Like fuck you. Why can't Joe Kasugi be the master? He would have been great. There's like that story um when they did Kung Fu, the original television series Kung Fu, the oh. at the beginning here. They wanted Bruce Lee to play that role. Japanese actor David Carradine. They wanted Bruce Lee to play that role. And then the the network said, no, no, it needs to be a white guy. And they want, I forget who it was. They want someone even whiter. And fucking, fucking David Carradine was the compromise. Wow. Still like, a white guy, but still all right. A super white guy, but I guess not well, as white. Like, I, don't, I, I God, I wish I could remember who it was. The uh, James Garner. Who knows? Might who have it was, been yeah. like that uh, bad. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like really white seventies. Ryan O'Neill. <laughs> Wandering the Earth with Ryan O'Neill. Uh, it's a cooking program now. <laughs> uh, this week on A and E. Oh God. Um. Yeah, I think it just sort of was adding this dimension of uh, trying to make the exotic a little more appealing, which, you know, is whitewashing, of course. Of course. But uh, it does add sort of a level of drama. What would cause this white man to essentially go native? It's a white man goes native story. Which is which, also essentially somewhat racist in its construct because it's always like, what could make him be interested in this cool culture. Well, it's, it's cool. What the fuck? The, the, the cool culture is very alien to a lot of modern audiences, and I think it's mm. A, a good way in, and B, adds a level of drama to the main character. I can't object to too strenuous. One of the problems with the show, especially in the early episodes, is that every Asian character is portrayed as the bad guy. Mm. Okasa is a bad guy. In the next episode, we meet some more ninjas. They're the bad guy. And then they rapidly start moving away from that. It's my understanding is they didn't mm. want to be accused of being too racist. Well, but this is the this is if you're mad about Iron Fist, which has this white savior narrative, uh, the master did that way earlier. Now, granted, Iron Fist the comic did it first, uh, and then I'm sure it was done even and, uh, before that. There was kung fu and the since, series. Uh, this is a thing that the we actual with. the actual construction and execution of the martial arts themselves play such a small role in the master mm -hmm. that it's almost incidental. So it doesn't really matter uh, that, that. Well, I think it does, and, and you know, Asian people are just kind of ignored. <laughs> I, I, I think that matters. I think that's a. I think that is a problem. You're doing a story that basically glorifies a culture. Says, look at how badass this culture is, and then you're marginalizing yeah. all the people who would actually be a part of that culture. It, it used that as a hook, but then it it just dropped it pretty quick in the yeah. series. So. Yeah, it, but it bothers me in its construct, and mm. I think at the time people were more forgiving about this sort of thing. Today, it's not flat out insulting like no, a lot of the time, but not it's, not, not for a second it's is just it insulting. It's, well, a little, but like it's not in its in its construct. Mm. It's it's problematic. It, it's no more insulting than the Ninja Turtles, for goodness sake. Which, you know, if you're thinking about insulting constructs, is pretty insulting. You know what, you're right. You're, you're absolutely right. <laughs> oh, 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 like I said, ninjas were repurposed and repackaged into something very, very different by Israeli producers. That's and that's true. the kind of ninja we're looking at here. Right. Episode 2, Out uh, of Time Step. Terrible title. Weird. Uh, this one has uh, Brian Tochi in it, uh, mm. who is an actor you might recognize from Revenge of the Nerds mm -hmm. and uh, Police Academy, uh, or I guess Police Academy 
two? two. He started in two and was in three and four as well. Yeah. I'm not don't remember if he was in five, six, and seven. You know more about uh, it than I do. I'm, I'm going to write and uh, like compile an oral history of the Police Academy well, movies someday. Has to. It's going to be you and not me. Yeah, d- d- two of the main actors are dead. So yeah. before any of them, any of the others start. Also off. appearing in this episode, Dick Durock, Swamp Thing himself. That's fun. <laughs> Out of Time Step uh, involves Max and the Master. They think they might be able to track down the Master's daughter in like a dance club. They don't, but they do find. Uh, the owner of the club was a, was a former, he was a total hoofer, he was in like a couple like Fred Astaire type movies. One of his daughters is a popular semi-erotic dancer. The other one of his daughters is in a wheelchair and she's very, you know, self-conscious about that. Meanwhile, ninjas are trying to take them out of business. Yeah, they're Total they're like coincidence. they're like the well, no, they're they're a successful club, and it's like the mob. That's a common thing. I'm just saying it's a coincidence that it's also ninjas. Well, yeah, that's that's true. just that just happens to work out. Mm. Uh, Max and the Master show up, and they do their ninja they, thing. They scare off, scare off the mob and inspire the uh, the girl in the wheelchair to be more confident. Yes, they use ninja powers to help her walk again. Which they uh, do. I guess she, she just, just a, a nerve was like wrapped around a bone and they kind of un, unhooked it and she's okay now. Sure, why not? <laughs> let's let's go with that. The construct that they try to come up with as sort of like their hook in every episode, um, it's, it's kind of like when you're watching a James Bond movie and there's that bit where Q gives Bond all of his gadgets. Mm. And you know in your heart of hearts that what they do is they say they write that scene last and they just let bond get into any crazy situation they want and when they write him into a corner they invent oh and his shoe is also a phone right. and then they just put in a scene earlier where q gave him that shoe phone that's what they do mm. here I, I always thought I, I always thought it was inverted that they came up with these wacky gadgets that they did, and they used it as a challenge it's like a chopped basket <laughs> okay you have a watch that fires a laser and a shoe with a knife in it go it's like okay oh well uh, he's gonna be trapped on a train okay how does he get on a train like they, they have to reverse engineer everything from that anyway. my theory was the other way around but <laughs> what they do is at the beginning of most episodes and they start abandoning this later on mm. uh, Max is being trained by the master to do some ninja thing and mm. this ninja thing Thing will be important later. In the second episode, That's we open with Max walking doing t- a tightrope. Yeah, tightrope walking. This will be important later. And even says, uh, uh, "What am I ever going to do this in San Francisco?" Of course, he does it later. Doodly, 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 doodly. I'm doing this in San Francisco. Uh, each uh, episode, we should say, also takes place in a different city. Uh, yeah. Since they are wandering, they go in one episode is in Hawaii, so they fly. They're never seen en route. However, it's really rare. Apart from like when they're lost in the desert. There's like maybe a scene at the very beginning where they're just sort of in the van, yeah. but we never get a sense of them living in the van or what they're doing to sustain themselves mm-hmm. or like really road tripping or eating at greasy diners. They're never or, like yeah. singing along the tiny dancer. They're, they're something. never they're never out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, just sort of hanging out and looking at the stars. Mm-hmm. They're just sort of in the van when the plot starts. And I understand that there's not a lot of room for fat in a show like this, <laughs> but it would have been appreciated. I think it would have been fun to have one episode where just the van breaks down and they have to walk and that's the entire episode. Yeah, they have then, conversations. Like, and like that's halfway it. through, like Okasa jumps out of a shrubbery. So like, how, how did you find us? What were the odds? Were you waiting there the whole time? <laughs> I knew you'd jump eventually. <laughs> I needed to use my cactus costume somewhere. Uh, episode three mm. is State of the Union, and it's the Union episode. Oh, this is nah. the one where the, the, the bikers. Uh, is it bikers? Or no, it's not. No, this is the, the Norma Ray episode. 
Oh, right, yeah. right, right. Chris, uh, Crystal Bernard, uh, who is best known from Wings. She was on like 175 episodes of Wings. Uh, now, I, was, I was watching a lot of these with my wife, and she was pointing at the actress saying, hey, she was on a different sitcom. Like, there's the Northern Exposure check. And there's, exactly. Yeah. It's like, I, I would have vaguely recognized them. Well, because a lot, and a lot of them look like they appeared in Playboy at the era. Like, they, a, they had that look. They do have that look. Mm. There's this revolving door of villains and love mm. interests. And that's it, really, because otherwise it's just Max and the Master. Those are the mm. things that we keep running into a lot, and a lot of the guest stars either were kind of aging character actors who sort of popped up, or were young ingenues who would eventually become more famous. Mm. Crystal Bernard hit it pretty big in the 90s in TV, and then she sort of vanished a bit. Mm. I think she's doing like a lot of TV movies now. Um, and this is, the one, this is the one that starts with the motorcycle race. Yeah, there's like a motocross like, yeah, so race. So yeah. Max, as it turns out, is also into motocross. Yeah. He had a think, motorcycle in the van the whole time, and we never mentioned it. And, and I guess he puts it back in the van and never uses it again. Never once. You'd think that would be a useful skill in an action there's, series. There's an episode but, we're coming uh, up with in a minute where they have an ultralight. <laughs> Yeah, they have like a, one of those little like, like compact they, like like airplanes, like a Cessna. Yeah, yeah, they just have one of those. Where did we get one of those? So they're get, they have money from something. Something if they can buy or rent these things. So Max was maybe gonna, they're just stealing them. Well, Max was going to win the money in this uh, motorcycle race, and then Crystal Bernard wins it, mm-hmm. and then of course he flirts with Crystal Bernard, and it turns out she's trying to start a union at this like at a cannery, fish, yeah, yeah. fish cannery. And of How course, exciting. the owner of the cannery doesn't want her to start a union. So she go. They takes her on a date at a bar, and he tells the bar owner, "I own this town. Don't serve her food. That'll learn her." And it, then it's, it's astonishing do. how often uh, Roadhouse came to mind when I was watching this series. This there, is, there's there's a few episodes where we have the Ben Gazzara, "I own this small town, and everybody listens and lives in fear of me." And of course, characters with bar fights. With bar fights. There's another bar fight in this episode, <laughs> and this one has a weird moment mm-hmm. because it's not just a bar; it's clearly a restaurant, like yeah, a proper with waitresses bar west- restaurant. Like it's not like we're a bar. Technically, we, legally, we have to serve food, but we just give you chips. There's that kind of bar. And then there's a bar where you can order a baked potato and steak. And this mm. is one of those. There's a bar fight, big old bar fight, and there's a gag where they fight in front of someone who is using the payphone. Mm-hmm. And they punch someone out, and he says, Sorry for interrupting your phone call. And he leaves. And she says, No problem. And then she goes back to her call. Uh-huh. But what she says is, uh, Yes, half pepperoni and half mushroom. I'm like, You're in a restaurant. Why are you ordering pizza in a restaurant? Clearly they don't serve pizza. Why not go home? Why not go to the pizza? What is, where are you going to... If I were the, restu- the restaurateur, I'd be very offended. Most... Rest, most um, okay, fine. Fair enough. Um, but yes. So uh, also in this episode, uh, they learned that Lee Van Cleef... Uh, can drop his heart rate down to nothing. Why would he do this? Because so can, it'll be important later. Yeah, when, he, when he's buried alive and then zombies back to life and grab somebody and scares them and charges up out of the dirt and surprises everybody and beats them all up. And uh, that's no, that's uh, that's the end of the episode. <laughs> there's this weird bit where Max... So, like, Crystal Bernard, again, she's normal race. She's trying to start a union. And mm. a lot of you know, people can't afford to like go on strike, so they're kind of reticent about the idea. But she's like, they're taking advantage of us. And, and, uh, and, no, and Timothy Van Patten says, "Hey, what are you guys thinking? I have a speech for you." And he gives a speech, and everybody says, "Okay, we'll do it." This is weird, but he doesn't work there. No, he has no stake in this. He doesn't sacrifice anything. No one ever brings this up. It's always Crystal Bernard is trying to 
make everyone do the union thing. And Max says, well, I think you should. And everyone's like, well, shit, if a man says it. Mm. There's this bit where he talks to the evil guy who runs the cannery. And he was just like, what are you going to do? Kick me out? And I'm like, you don't work here. Yes. I can kick you out. I'm legally allowed to do that. You're trespassing. Why are you here? Timothy well, can, the point is he can't be fired. Because he true. does, because he doesn't work there. Oh, I uh, suppose that's true. The next episode is called "Hostages," which uh, is another recurring motif. There's a lot of kidnapping that happens in this show. But there's a lot of kidnapping uh, that happens in every adventure show. I imagine so, but it's people are used dis- as bait more often it's than they actually go to their. Dressingly common in this series, where the ingenue is kidnapped or the father is kidnapped. Somebody's kidnapped. In every also, episode. I think "Hostages" might be the laziest title. I've yeah. ever heard. At least Max, Max is like you're introducing yourself to a character. So, okay, call it Max. Mm. Hostages. Oh, it's got hostages in it. Mm. Dude, we got David McCallum from Man From U.N.C.L.E. We don't want to do like a like a Man From U.N.C.L.E. This is also an episode with George Lazenby. Yeah, this is the... This, this is, has, James uh, Bond is in this episode. I had a trouble following the, like the plot of this one. Mm. Um, yeah, George Lazenby is an ex-spy because, of course, he is. He's dressed like James Bond. Uh-huh. Uh, he doesn't play a British man, luckily. He just plays his usual Australian self. Mm-hmm. George uh, Lazenby, he was he was James Bond in one movie, mm-hmm. and it's one of the best James Bond movies. It's Honor mm-hmm. Majesty's Secret Service. And then he... The one with unwisely Diane. decided to leave the franchise immediately. Well, <coughs> his film wasn't terribly popular. It, so it they made got, money, and they asked him back. Uh, and, uh, and he said no. Okay. Didn't do wonders for his career, and he ended up playing off of that for a long time. And here's an episode in which he plays a secret agent. What, what year was Honor Majesty's Secret Service? Sixty five. Like, yeah, it was. It was late sixties. Late sixties. Yeah, because there was a, there was Honor Majesty's Secret Service, and then there was like another, Diamonds Are Forever. Yeah, yeah, there was one more Connery movie, and then, then there was Roger Moore late, late sixties. So in the episode, opening of the episode, Max is flying an ultralight, and he just happens to run into, um, you ever see, okay, I assume, audience, you've seen the original Ghostbusters. At the beginning of the movie, Bill Murray is giving, like, an ESP, a psychic test, Mm. to a very attractive blonde woman who's only in that one scene. Mm. This was her shining moment. She is the protagonist of this episode. I didn't actually look it up. I thought it was her. Yeah. Okay. I looked it up. That was driving me nuts. How do I know her? I've seen her eight million times. I, I, I kept saying she she looks like the girl at the beginning of Ghostbusters. She yeah. was the girl from the beginning of Ghostbusters. She was the uh, badass action. Was she the no. the no, damsel in distress or was she the terrorist girl? Damsel in distress. Terrorist <laughs> right. girl is some lady whose name I didn't uh, okay. uh, make down. Her car is careening out of control. Max saves her in an airplane. So she invites them to have a party with a senator. Mm-hmm. Sure enough, they go, and Lee Van Cleef is recognized by George Lazenby, who, while he was on a mission in Japan, mm. but, had, did some ninja stuff. And he doesn't trust Lee Van Cleef. So they me, have history. And, and uh, meanwhile, sort of stalking around the edges of this party is Shokosugi, who yes. is, is just sort of attacking people kind of randomly. Yes. Uh, and and uh, David McCallum, one half of the Man uh, from Uncle, plays the bad guy who is... Gonna kidnap a whole bunch of people, and they're gonna do a whole bunch of terrorist demands. Um, and a lifeguard old man from Baywatch and Beyond Westworld is in this episode. What's weird <laughs> lifeguard is lifeguard old man. What's weird? I think it's David. No, it's not David. But who is who is lifeguard old man? What's his, I I couldn't say. I forget the gentleman's name. He uh, he also starred in a Cancel Too Soon series called The Second Hundred Years. Uh huh. 
which uh, if you'll watch go on which if you watched MST3K mm-hmm. uh the first the the Master Ninja episode in which they did this episode Frank TV's Frank gives an impassioned speech for why mm. the second hundred years needs to be brought back. <laughs> that was their canceled too soon moment. They didn't care about the master for the second hundred years. They tried to bring in a letter writing campaign to get this 25 year old show at the time <laughs> about like a coal miner who like falls into a pit and awakens in the 60s and looks exactly like his great grandson or something. They want to bring that show back. Uh-huh. We gotta try to track that one down. I know I'm alone on this one, but the day Blansky's beauties got canceled. Yeah, you're alone on that one. Um, this is also the one where uh, Lee Van Cleef has said, like, oh, well, we're gonna enlist this guy. He's a ninja. He can scale this unscalable wall. It's completely sheer. Mm. No one could scale this wall. He just throws a rope up there. Uh-huh. And he climbs yeah, it. Like Batman in yeah. the old Batman series. But it's, just, it's just, you climbed a rope. Mm. Now, granted, I'm not physically fit. I probably couldn't crawl up like that far <laughs> on a rope. But I'll bet like a marine could, mm. like an able-bodied soldier, like anyone probably could. Like it really made too big a deal out of that. It's a weird bit. Mm. I don't know. Drive me nuts. It's, he's climbing a wall. I'm so not what? super it's, impressed that a you know ninja what? did that. It, it's all they got. It's really all they got in a show like this. Look, we um, had the wall. Well, I, <laughs> we gotta use the wall. They had this idea of ninja, and I think only like every third episode or so did they were they able to get like an actual ninja prop of some sort. <laughs> like occasionally he has like a bolo that he throws like by pushing it away from his chest with both hands and like wrapping it around people's feet. Mm. I'm not sure if that's really a ninja weapon. It's a bolo, but uh, I read that uh, uh, some people have actually really appreciated how this show. You uh, Monty Markham is the actor. I was thinking. Oh, okay. Uh, some people really appreciated that the show used shurikens correctly. They're not always used as a throwing deadly weapon. Oftentimes they're used for like cutting through ropes mm. or picking locks or they're just, just like, they're just knives. They're just yeah. knives. Yeah, they don't always have to fling them with great force. <laughs> um, so this episode I, ends I, with I everything. Think, okay. I think that's not much. <laughs> <laughs> that they cut a rope with a throwing star. If that's all you got to hang hang on this show, then that's yeah. what we had. <laughs> that's all we had at the time. <laughs> did your did your school ever have a, a ninja throwing star epidemic? No. Your, your elementary school, like just wandering through the school, and there'd be like a throwing star, like in the locker no, next ki- to you. Like? Kid, kids were kids were bringing throwing stars, real ones. Like you mm-hmm. get them at like knife shops and and no. and in Tijuana, you could, you could you could bring them over the border, and kids just had them. They were bringing these things to school, and yes, all over the country, uh, kids were getting stabbed by these ninja throwing stars because they were just the hot ticket item to, for kids to have. Oh, and and there were even PSAs about not bringing your ninja stars to school. I remember seeing these on TV. I don't remember that at all. Th- this was a huge thing. I believe you. <laughs> we just didn't have an epidemic of ninja stars at my schools. The kids had guns already. <laughs> episode five: High Rollers. This is the Vegas episode. They go to Vegas in search uh, of Terry McAllister. They find a Terry McAllister that is a different Terry McAllister, mm. and she is involved in a heist. This happens about three times. Uh, the, yeah. <laughs> It's a lot of Terry McAllisters Ter- who are involved in heists. I, I guess Terry McAllister is a good alias, but uh, this one is the one about uh, Max's ex, and I'm glad we got a little bit of his backstory. A smidge. We can find out uh, more later. He he was dating this girl. They uh, were really intensely uh, hooking up. Uh, sh- I think it was she who got cold feet. They broke apart. She had a kid with somebody else, and now she's back in Max's life. 
Oh, that is this episode. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I forgot about that. I, I was thinking that was a later episode. You're absolutely no, that's right. this one. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, they, uh, uh, so, yeah. So, but there's going to be a big casino heist. Because, of course. Because, of course, there is. And they need the showgirl to seduce the guy who's got, like, the security card. And that's about it, really. <laughs> they stop the heist. I'm or, seriously. Or I'm, I they stop the so heist many notes or they're and they're, involved they say somehow. Yeah. Like we find out, Max's father and his brother died in a drunk flying accident. No, it was his, his mother and his sister. Oh, sorry, I thought it was brother. Okay, well, his mother and his sibling. Mm. Yeah, God, they all kind of blur together. It's kind of the same episode over and over and over. <laughs> this is also the one where uh, uh, Lee Van Cleef accidentally impresses two old ladies, and they keep following around and going sort of like, "Ooh, look at how handsome he is!" And in the end, the implication is that he probably has sex with both of them. Uh huh. Good times. Well, it's it, also this one. Also, Ma- Max is is uh, here's something you said that it's they're really convincing that they're friends, and uh, sure. even though it's uh, totally unsavory, what happens in this episode? <laughs> episode is like, hey, why don't you sleep with those two ladies? Okay, uh, they're fine. They're I like willing. that. Uh, the influence doesn't seem to be that the master is making Max a more like Zen gathered mature individual. It's more that uh, Max is taking this kind of aloof figure and who has been living out of the country and is kind of unconnected and a, a little bit awkward around human beings and kind of reintroducing him back into society. It's kind of about the taming of the master more than it is about the training of the pupil. Which is a shame. And I appreciate that the relationship seem well, at least ostensibly, seems to be working both ways. Okay, so... Uh, they rescue everybody. The episode actually ends in a ghost town, like an old west ghost town, mm. and they he has to like ninja fight a bunch of guys in a cowboy setting. Mm. And this is when they really start piling on the good, the bad, and the ugly references, because like he'll like they actually say like Lee Van Cleef is just like ah, I feel really at home here for some reason. Uh, I always wanted to be a cowboy. Just curious, how cute. After a while, I started realizing that there's only one interpretation that makes this show make sense to me. <laughs> it's all it's, told in it's all told in voiceover mm-hmm. from Max's perspective as he's wandering around, getting in old west ninja fights, scaling buildings, mm-hmm. airports are blowing up. I shot Clue Gulliger once, like. And I realized that the Just show like deathbed confessions. The show only makes sense if you imagine that. This is what the dad is saying on his deathbed in Big Fish. <laughs> like this is, tell, this is his version of the tall tales. These is, are, these, is the master. These are the shitty things was, that he's saying. Like, like I, I was don't about buy to say, it, dad. If if uh, if this is the exciting life he's inventing, he's doing a very bad job of it. He could be doing better. <laughs> Remember that time I hooked up with this really stodgy Lee Van Cleef guy in a, in a ninja costume? Episode six, mm. Fat. Tuesday, the episode with a lot of Mardi Gras stock footage. They go to New Orleans to find to find his daughter, and it turns out his daughter is actually a fake alias mm. made up by a reporter who's trying to uh, Play, played by what's her face from Northern Exposure. Uh, yes, Connie Marie Brazelton. No, that's no, not, not right. Connie Marie Brazelton. I actually didn't write the name down. Connie yeah. Brazelton was in ER and People Under the Stairs. Also, Mabel King is in this episode from The Wiz and What's Happening. I forgot to write mm. down the name of the uh, reporter. Um, also, I think you're thinking of the modeling episode. Am I? I think you are. 
The, uh, they no, all blur together. Okay, so the New Orleans right, episode, right, right. a senator is like uh, running guns for like Middle Eastern terrorists. Oh, right. Yeah, and, I am thinking of the modeling episode. Okay. I'm terribly sorry. And they get involved, and it's great. Janine Turner is the actress. Yeah, Janine yeah. Turner comes up eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a fun bit in this one where they go to the senator's costume party, and Lee shows up in his ninja outfit. Uh-huh. And he fights people as the ninja, and everyone just sort of politely claps. <laughs> because, yeah. what a show! <laughs> really doing that's very right. well. They, they, they think it's all just uh. <laughs> and that's that actually that's actually kind of funny. Mm. Um, all right, let's see what we got here. What we got here? Episode seven, Juggernaut. Why do you say the titles that way? <laughs> I don't know, juggernaut. Don't doesn't that don't that demands a little. Um, a little power? No, uh, Juggernaut makes use of something that was already, like, way out of the public consciousness by 1984, and that's the notion of uh, trucker lingo, and truckers as sort of these romantic figures. It's, it, uh, it ends in a convoy Smoke, fight. Smokey and the Bandit was really, really big, and <laughs> trucker lingo, and the movie Convoy, directed by Sam Peckinpah, you know, this this was really big from, like, 1972 to partway through 1974, and that was it. Mm. Oh, uh, White Line Fever, also a good one. Okay, and and Black Dog. <laughs> no, Black Dog was the nineties. Black I know. Dog was way too I late know. on trucker lingo. I can't explain. I can't explain where the trucker thing came from. Uh, if if it started with Smokey and the Bandit, or if it's just sort of leaking into the culture well, at the Smokey time. Bandit, he wasn't a it was. Uh, it was the myth of the American highway. That this is again, where, this is another show where people are just wandering America. Where, where the heck did it come from? Is my question. I don't know. I think, uh, I think it came from it came from this weird sort of counterculture thing. Uh, people who wanted to sort of live off the grid and do that sort of CB radio thing and kind of form their own communities and uh, you know damn the man and take down the police, but didn't want to be hippies. That's where truckers came from. Okay. And that this is an episode about truckers that taps into the trucker stuff. This is also... But it was 1984, so it was incredibly dated and not hip any longer. Yeah, so basically a bunch of truckers Mm. have run afoul of evil truckers, Mm. and there's going to be a big road warrior fight. Uh Meanwhile, Max is seducing a young lady while Lee Van Cleef is seducing her mom. That's a little little odd. You know, uncomfortable for me. I don't know. Got to be honest. Why, the, the why? Mom is, why is that uncomfortable? I don't know. Like, it's just be like, you think the mom can't get some action? Well, no, because they're playing them up as like a father son kind of dynamic. Uh huh. So, like, if they like fall in love with a daughter and her mom, they're all going to be like weirdly related and having sex. It's kind of yeah. that doesn't only, only strike through, you as sort of awkward. No, those those people. Nobody's related by blood. No, there's no incest in that. I'm not situation. saying it's, it's incest to it. I just feel like it's vaguely awkward. <laughs> All right. Anyway, uh, the guest star is Maggie Sinclair, who you might remember from Star Trek: The Next Generation, is Doctor Pulaski. That's right. Or not Maggie. It's Diana Moldar. Is this Dana Moldar? Yeah. Got, I wrote down wrong names. Yeah, Diana Moldar plays Dr. Pulaski. Apologies. She also played uh, Dr. She was also Leslie on, Tompkins on Batman the Animated Series. She was also on L.A. Law. There you go. Yeah. Um, and she actually has like some pretty good scenes with Lee Van Cleef mm. where they actually talk well, about she, things. If you're going to get Diana Moldar, she's a very uh, feisty actress. She has a lot of... She was also in the original Star Trek, by the mm. way. Um, oh, apologies. But uh, yeah, she uh, she has a lot of charisma, and she's really uh, a strong, powerful actress. I think, and uh, yeah, if you're gonna put her in a show, yeah, give her some lines for goodness' sake. She's not, you know, waving, weaving, and waiting for Hercules to come home. No, it's just, yeah. no, she's she's actually very strong and capable, mm-hmm. and I really liked her performance a lot. Uh, Hercules, my, Odysseus. Not there's Hercules. my favorite. God, we are all over the place. Yeah, we're recording this at like two a.m. again. Mm-hmm. By the way, 
there's one funny joke in this one. Uh-huh. I think it's the first properly funny joke we've had in the master. Uh, earlier in the episode, Max has been put in jail, and the master dresses up as like a hobo, yeah, like, like a drunk guy, uh, to break him out of jail, and he does. He's a master of disguise. Later in the episode, I wish he did that more. They, <laughs> and they and they escape in front of like a guy in a drunk tank. Later mm. in the episode, they ended in like one of like three bar fights in this episode. And they beat up all the remaining bad guys in this bar in front of the same town drunk. And the town drunk looks at them and says, you know, if you guys teamed up with that hobo who broke that guy out of jail yesterday, you'd be unstoppable. Uh, <laughs> Which is actually kind of funny. That's cute. That's, That's cute. kind of funny. Uh, we, we, were, we were mercifully spared the joke where he saw something extraordinary, like it rips off the hobo outfit and puts on the ninja outfit and then... Takes out his <laughs> bottle of whiskey and just chucks it aside. Yeah. Now, that's the other version of that joke. Episode 8, The Good, The Bad, and The Priceless. This is the one with Janine Turner from Northern Exposure. Okay, and Cliffhanger. Right. Uh, and which uh, they try to track down Terry McAllister. Someone is impersonating uh, well, Terry, Terry McAllister. Ma- as we learn that Terry McAllister uh, used to work as a model in this episode. Uh, <laughs> so they have a picture of somebody they think is Terry McAllister, but an undercover reporter is posing as Terry McAllister. That's Janine Turner. Because and someone's going to steal the crown jewels. She's trying to crack a heist of the crown jewels. Now... In order to keep her cover, she has to continue to pre- pretend to be Terry McAllister in front of the master. Yeah, the master says, oh, are you so my daughter? And she has to say yes. She has to say yes, and she has to pretend, and they have to pre- have these sort of scenes where they catch up. And it seems like he's headed for a heartbreak. But at the end of the episode, when it's revealed that uh, she's not the daughter after all, he says, ah, it's okay, I knew, I have ninja senses. It's like, well, wait, what? <laughs> what about the big emotional arc you were about to have? Oh, no, nope, nope, ninja senses. I'm a man. I have no emotions. There's a uh, there's a bit that runs throughout the whole episode in which Lee Van Cleef is... They go to, like, the modeling agency and some guy from an advertising department says, You! You're the pit stop man! Right. We need you to help sell our deodorant! And at the end of the episode, he shows them, See, we had already done these mock-ups. <laughs> it looks just like you. And it's Lee Van Cleef from The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. And Lee Van Cleef says, Ha! I'd never wear that uh, freeze frame. <laughs> Eric Estrada laughing. <laughs> there's, there's, so they have to break into a museum in this one, and they have to, to steal like, the crown jewel. It, it, and, it's got laser grid. It's, now, got, it's got a laser grid, but it's like lasers that actually like shoot through your body, like heat lasers. Yeah, uh, which is kind of an odd way to do that, but also, I guess it's more threatening. These are the, the the cheap laser effects, like the the rotating mirrors and spot lamps that they use to make these laser effects. Always fun, like sub children's museum decorations sort of stuff. <laughs> there is a, a line of lasers along the floor, and they have to like use a mirror to point the laser back in on itself to break it, and they're sort of just sweeping back and forth very gently across the floor. You get hit by the laser; it burns you a little bit. It's not like it slices off your foot. Hmm. They break the first four. There's one just sort of going back and forth, and they very carefully use the laser to, to break the fifth. Just step over the fifth one. Well, it's not just, covering that much ground. Well, what's weird about it is that the lasers aren't Or step coming. on top of the laser. They're not in the wall. They're after, on these little boxes. So step they, on top of the boxes. Yeah, after they get past the door, which the door is a problem, I'll give you, uh, all the lasers are like coming out of like shoe boxes uh, that are disconnected from the wall. You can walk over to them and just sort of knock them over. Uh, like, just do that. <laughs> like, it's stupid. Turn one of them around and blow up the other lasers. There's so many ways around this. And the final laser... 
this gigantic laser grid that's around the crown jewels, which is like a plastic tiara and a scepter and I think one other, like a brooch. Uh, he just throws a ninja star, stops it, and they tilt back a glass box as if it's this big... Car- oh, it's, it's so cheap. It's, it's so the cheap. cheapest. Like oh the, even though the set looks like it's made of cardboard, it's just awful. All right. Episode 9, Kunoichi. Uh, McAllister I think is, I fell asleep during this episode. <laughs> McAllister is invited to Washington, D.C. by an old war buddy who now works for mm. the CIA or the NSA or one of those secret government organizations. But it's all a setup, and Okasa has actually manipulated him into place so that he can frame the master for murder. Oh, right. Okay, yeah, vaguely, uh, yeah, okay. But uh, uh, turns out that the act, the the... The, the love interest in this episode is actually Okasa's new pupil. So there's actually another white ninja, a female for a change. Uh-huh. And she's going to kill the guy in the middle of a classical music performance. Have you seen the Michael Bolton Valentine's Day special? They put no, this year? I have not. It's hilarious. Mm-hmm. And there's a part where they ask Michael Bolton to sing this one aria that's been used in every spy movie, like Mission Impossible 5 <laughs> or Some of All Fears. Uh-huh. And his whole thing is, I can't sing that song. Every time someone sings that song, someone gets assassinated. <laughs> that's pretty funny. That's pretty much this. the ending mm-hmm. of this episode is, oh god, it's a classical music performance. Well, if, you were, if you're an important person, don't go mm-hmm. to the opera. That's the mess in here. Don't go to the opera. Don't go to the theater. Stay Remember, at home and watch Netflix. That's the, your job. If if somebody is very rich and has like a really refined taste in classical music, they're always the bad guys. Mm. Uh, o- only bad guys can be sort of smart and educated and cerebral. We we fear education mm. and class and culture. Okay. <laughs> episode ten is the treasure hunt episode. There, it's well, it's the kind of the Maltese Falcon episode. There's a mm. Java tiger and there's a treasure map. And but there's also there's also so this this predates the Last Crusade by like Indiana Jones Last Crusade by like five years. Mm. They do exactly that. They're like, oh well, we have to get through all of these traps. Well, we'll get a ninja to do it so uh-huh. we can get our magical thingy <laughs> at the back of the cave. Like it's kind of weird actually, and I wonder if this is all based on some other like story. Oh, well, I don't know. Uh, it's I mean Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade was not like a fresh new idea. No. He's not a fresh new character. He's based on old pulp novels and serials exact, from like decades earlier. That exact sequence where you get like a I'm, skilled I'm, hero to go through all the traps for you. To I'm get sure it appeared in old serials plenty of times. Yeah. So yeah, they're uh, just re- referencing that. So they go to Hawaii mm. where uh, one of the master's old friends, who is which a, is clearly Malibu. Yes. <laughs> one of the master's old friends is a bumbling private detective who died trying to get this old treasure on an Island. He owns somehow mm. and they find it. And they find it. That's yeah. it. I try to, I, is there anything else in this episode that's even... All I wrote down is the master does Hawaii, as if I thought that was funny for <laughs> one second. Oh, there's this one weird bit. So they run into the, the, the private detective's daughter. And uh, the master says, the last time I saw her, she was nude. Pause. Mm. And two weeks old. Uh-huh. And I'm like... Why did you say it like that? Oh my god, you freaky old man. Why would you do that, you creepy bastard? That you made that weird. Why would you make that weird? I remember when you were an infant. (laughs) No, don't do that. Remember that? Elbow, elbow. Um, 
we, we do have to have a, a pretty girl in every episode just so Timothy Patton has somebody to kiss. Yeah. Otherwise, he'd start kissing on uh, Lee Van Cleef, and I don't think audiences were quite ready for they that. They weren't ready for that. They mm. actually kept the love interest from the trucker episode around for uh, one episode, and then they never explain where she went. She went on their journeys, she, and then she just wasn't there anymore. And there was a scene where they're like in a restaurant, and I'm wondering, is is, is Cat was the character's name? Is Cat like in the she like just asleep in the van right now? You know what? Mm-hmm. Where is she? Are she, 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 she ditched them? Yeah, and they hadn't noticed until they got to Hawaii. <laughs> like, wait a minute, didn't we have someone else on the? And she's like, you just cut back to her with like her mm-hmm. luggage, like at the bus stop, just like, thumb, thumbing a ride. Fucking <laughs> Timothy Van Patten, man! I should have known. I should have known they warned me. And well, those guys in White Shadow warned me. Having a drink with Dick Van Patten. <laughs> Episode eleven is failure to communicate, and in this one, we meet. Max's father, played by Doug McClure. Doug McClure is a drunk lawyer in the show. And he's like been blackmailed into helping these bad guys kidnap someone. And they end up kidnapping, by mistake, the dad's blind assistant... And the right. rich guy is now being asked to pay the ransom, even though they didn't kidnap his daughter as planned. Uh, this is the high and low episode. The, yeah, high, uh, Kurosawa's high and low is about a, a rich guy whose son is kidnapped, and uh, it's later revealed that his the kidnappers got the wrong kid. They got the housekeeper's kid, and the rich guy begins to balk, and that reveals what a moral monster he is. Yeah, I, 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 my my child is worth money. Another child is not. Uh, the, it's, but it's like the evil kidnapper. You, by the way, once is, a, you just did a treasure map episode. Mm-hmm. Now we're doing high and low all over the place with influences. <laughs> well, the the kidnapper in this episode is played by Mark Alimo, who uh, Star Trek fans might recognize as Gul Dukat from Deep Space Nine. He's so great. Uh, and uh, another man who never looked young. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, when he's you know, on Deep Space Nine, he plays a space alien, so he has this sort of gray reptile makeup, but he's instantly recognizable. So the blind lady in this one, you know, she's she's mm. very uh, capable, and it's actually pretty great. They talk the, about, like... My, one of my favorite scene in this entire series comes from her. Uh, there's a bit where she's accosted. What, somebody's being kidnapped, and she is accosted by the kidnappers, and she escapes. And she's asked to give an eyewitness report to the cops, uh-huh. and she gives a really detailed description of the kidnappers, what they're wearing, how tall they are, what their hair pattern is like, even though she can't see. Yeah, one of the police officers is just like, well, what good she's going to be? She's mm. blind. And she's like, oh, and the buttons were walnut shaped. Well, like, she gives all this detail. The, the cop knows how to deal with it and it's like well you know what what did you feel what was he wearing you know and just oh a tweed jacket and at the end of it he says that was the best eyewitness description we've ever gotten from somebody no it's actually pretty great but there's this weird bit where she's it's this great cop moment yeah there's Mm -hmm. this weird bit where she's hanging out with lee van cleef and she asks if she can feel his face Mm -hmm. to get a sense of what he looks like she says you know who you feel like you feel like clint eastwood Uh. and lee van cleef says not quite <sighs> he, he was in movies with Clint Eastwood. Yes, he was. It's it's kind of sad how how, how often they have to sort of fame whore Lee Van Cleef. You already have Lee Van Cleef, right? You don't right. need to oversell it like that. So in the next episode, Rogues, mm. they do it again when they have to go to a big Hollywood party, mm. and the flamboyantly gay producer who's holding the party mm. recognizes Lee Van Cleef as Lee Van Cleef and talks about all the times he made movies with Lee Van Cleef. Uh-huh. Oh, Lee Van Cleef, you've still got that weird See, sense of humor where you pretend you're not Lee Van Cleef if they and are d- actually a ninja. If they had done that once, maybe and, once, and it was this joke. 
like if they run into this because Lee Van Cleef has very distinct features. Nobody looks like him. Pretty much, uh, he's 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 pinched. He's got sort of a vulture head, mm-hmm. and uh, which is not to disparage Lee Van Cleef. No, at he's all, just but, a very distinctive looking right. feature. So if yeah. somebody says, "Wow, you look like Lee Van Cleef," and he says, "Ah, no, that wasn't me. I just I get that all the time." Um, that's fun. That's a cute joke. I've seen plenty of series do the meta thing where the actors meet versions of themselves or it's remarked that they look like a certain actor. You don't have to keep bringing up that he was in famous movies. Yeah, this happens We already every episode know who now. he is. Or like the, the title of one episode, the, the Good, the Bad, and the Precious was one of the episodes. Yeah, priceless. Or Priceless. Yeah, you get that once. Get that you get that once you do this joke. That's all you need to do. Yeah. Stop it. Stop. Also, he was in other shit. <laughs> Why not do like an Escape from New York reference once in a while? He'd already done that. I'm not sure if Escape from New York maybe it was a little was too hit? too recent. It's not like cinema classic at that point. So. Uh, whatever. Anyway. Um in this episode This is the uh corrupt cops slash uh jazz aerobics instructors episode. Yeah. So uh, a, cor- they, a corrupt okay. cop who was a friend of Max's mm-hmm. uh, has run afoul. No, sorry. A good cop has run afoul of corrupt cops. Yeah. The good cop used to be a childhood friend of Max. The cop's sister was an ugly duckling who has bloomed into a jazzercising swan. And now she's doing jazzercise. And Lee Van Cleef, who at the beginning of the episode, the big lesson for Max is you should never stop learning is constantly being told by this other aerobics instructor that she can help him get more in shape. And he's constantly balking. And instead of taking her seriously and learning something about modern health techniques, he mm. beats up all of her students. Yeah. And and it's played for laughs. Ah. Uh, um, oh, gosh. Okay. The, aer- <laughs> the aerobics thing. <laughs> this was... Why was this so prominent? Aerobics was so big in the 1980s, and It's every, in Superman 4, Superman every did aerobics. Every TV series. Uh, there's a movie out there called Perfect with John Travolta and Jamie Lee Curtis, and only watch it if you have a really strong stomach. Uh, <laughs> there are the two competing great aerobics slasher movies, Death Spa mm-hmm. and Killer Workout. Death Spa is way better. I disagree, but they're both great. <laughs> Death- I'm a huge... Huge fan of Killer Workout, man. That movie fucking rules. They're both De- great. Death Spa has the one with the possessed fish, and yeah, it's and the computer that's possessed by evil ghost intelligence. Yeah, they've created like and a it's, high but it's a tech, workout movie. They yeah. created like a Star Trek health spa mm-hmm. where everything is automated, like even the tiles and the walls for no reason. Somehow, yeah, they clearly have water blasters behind them. Yeah, um, it's way more interesting than this show. <laughs> Just aerobics had like. Jazzercise, that form of working out, which is not really working out. It's just sort of moving until your heart beats quickly. I'm not it, sure if you're it, it's really cardio. It's, it's cardio. That's it. Uh, it's, it's calisthenics. It's mm. it's rhythmic calisthenics, and everyone gets to wear very attractive leotards. Like and and a lot of really porny movements in mm-hmm. everything, that, oh, it was including great. this episode. Yeah, I but, think that might have been one of the reasons why it was so popular. In addition to simply being workout, well, this was on TV. There would be like workout the, shows in the morning. I think part. Of it was for that and i think part of it was porn wasn't on tv yet it was it was it was, it was uh, a little it was a little sexy and i think a lot of people were enjoying it you recall in one of the friday the 13th movies one of the guys was uh enjoying it a little too much mm. in that particular van i think that was part of the appeal the uh, workout videos that is workout videos were really big sellers and i don't think all of the people who were watching them were watching them to work out uh 
Also, working out was really popular uh, as a form of like picking people up. Mm-hmm. Uh, America had lost its soul, so it decided to work on its body, as George, <laughs> as George Carlin had once said. And uh, yeah, this sort of workout craze became where you know people would go to pick people up, and it was. I, I can't stress how enormous it really was. Yeah. And it, it goes a long way to explain why you would see it in something like The Master in 1984 or anywhere for that matter. Pretty much anything in 1984. If, if you're, had if you're exploring a, like, stuff through the 1980s and you see, wondering why there are so many scenes and all of these things that took place at gyms and there was so much yeah. spandex, that was happening in real life. Yeah, Red Heat. We need a female character to be in Red Heat. Gina Gershon is an aerobics instructor. Yeah, that's the ticket. Ninja three the domination is about an aerobics instructor so there's synergy now thank you Uh, that's Um, all i was getting to this entire episode praying to Uh, god it didn't end in lee van cleef in a leotard doing aerobics and that would be the freeze frame joke Uh, and that comes out in the uniform in the unitard lee had a little too much dignity for that a little too much dignity for that we have this uniform for you yeah i'm not wearing that Timothy Van Patten, yeah, I'm not wearing that. Okay, fair enough. All right, the last episode mm-hmm. of this show. A uh, place to call home. Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, you did mention earlier that this last episode and the final one uh, were were aired later on after the show had already kind of been canceled. Yeah. And they had these final two episodes, so they just ran them in the summer. The summer used to be a season mm. of nonstop reruns. There was no new content. So anything new, maybe you can get a few extra viewers out mm. of it. Uh, so yeah, failure to communicate. This is the one where they're saving the youth center. <laughs> That's right, an or- with, a, an, with a foot race, <laughs> an orphanage. Let's put on a show, guys. I'm surprised it wasn't a singing competition. It would have been great. There is a small like, and this is the other Roadhouse episode where you have the Ben Gazzara guy who yeah. runs this small town. I'm gonna get those orphans out of there. Screw orphans. Yeah, I'm trying to buy up all the land so I can mine it for uranium. But damn it, there are all these orphans living there. I'm gonna blow them up. <laughs> That's the plot. Also, it turns out that there is nothing small town America hates more than orphan children. Yep. Because these orphan children, okay, a couple of them are troublemakers. Like, <laughs> fine, okay. One of them, like, is really way too ready to, like, nunchuck you in the face. By the way, that that kid is played by Shokasugi's son. Yeah. Like this, like little ninja is like totally awesome, and he actually gets to well, beat think, up Lee Van Cleef at I the end. I think was also the kid from Revenge of the Ninja, but I could be wrong on that. I think one it, was. it was. It oh, was. Okay. Uh, it was uh, Kane Kasugi. Okay. Is it Kane? Yeah, Kane. Kane Kasugi. Kane Kasugi. Yeah. Kosugi. Oh my god, we've got to stop recording this so late. Oh, I'm so awful. In any case, it's just Lee Van Cleef and Tim Van Patten. Beating up yokels. Mm. Meanwhile, everyone in small town is just like, your orphan children can't compete in our foot race. Our not orphan children have been training for this. Mm. Well, they just like to compete. Why would they? I don't like them. And then in the end, the kid wins the foot race. Okay. And the dude's just like, I learned something. I'm 60, and I just learned a valuable lesson for the first time about not hating orphans. <laughs> Thanks, Lee Van Cleef. It's not about hating orphans. It's, it's about prejudices we have against the poor. We see this everywhere. We've I seen this go- in films going back to the 30s. They don't talk mm. about it being about the poor, though. They talk mm. about it being those orphans. Yeah. And yeah. Just, it just seems they're, like... They're a marginalized uh, sect of the population. Well, of course, I appreciate that. <laughs> it just comes across as so cartoonish. It's like, well, it's hard to take yeah, it seriously. Yeah, this is a show about ninjas. Um, 
now now that we've run aground on this entire season. I do like that it ends <laughs> with Shokasugi's little kid son mm-hmm. beating the shit out of Lee Van Cleef. And yeah. that's the last thing that happens is Shokasugi gets the last laugh. Pretty much. I do like that. My, <laughs> I do like My that. progeny gets to take down Lee Van Cleef. The thing I wanted to talk about, there's two things I want to talk about when we talk about if the mm. master had lasted. Uh-huh. Firstly, um, as we saw, a lot of these episodes are another movie. Yeah. And I wanted, I'm curious about what other movies you think they would have mm. done. Like just because some of them are weird, a high and low episode, really. So uh, I put the it, other few it was pictures. Ki- I, don't know if you had I, I know they wanted. You know, they have, there's so much kidnapping. They had to add, add some intrigue. I think it was just coincidence that they quoted high and low. Mm. The writers are probably not fans of of high and low. Okay, maybe they are. Who knows? But yeah, so I had a couple of pitches here. Mm. Uh, the best little ninja house in Texas. The musical episode? No, it's just where Max's uh, aunt turns out she runs a brothel. Oh, she's a madam. Okay. And uh, this town is trying to get rid of them, like in that one episode of The Simpsons. But they're actually warm, friendly prostitutes. Warmest, Mm. friendliest prostitutes in Texas. Oh, and there's one really racist Asian prostitute in there as well. There has to be in this show. I guess there does. (laughs) I'm a little disappointed. Mm. But there you go. Mm. Uh, Fast Times at Ninja Mount High. Uh, Max has to go undercover at a high school. Sometimes I hate you. (laughs) Max has to go undercover at a high school to help like an old friend who is now a teacher, like get drugs out of the high school while Lee Van Cleef impersonates the new phys ed teacher. Okay. I'm I'm with you. And also uh, the ninja ball run. Oh, of course, the race. There's got to be a cross country race. We we already had motocross. So yeah, there has to be some... Why, like, why are are they are they racing a bad guy to something? Are they trying to save something, or are they? Is it like are they going to get a prize? I think uh, there is someone who is involved in this cross country uh, auto race mm-hmm. who is trying to win for noble reasons, trying to save the youth center, mm-hmm. fight the orphans, something, something fight, good, fight the orphans, or for them, you know, whatever. It might be evil orphans. There's got to be some right. Fight, fight the orphans or for them. There's, Whatever comes first. There's got to be some evil orphans out there, right? There's Come be here to some, do two things. Like chew bubblegum and fight <laughs> orphans. <laughs> and uh, what happens is the hero, right, the hero racer's car is sabotaged by the evil racers. You're describing Speed Racer now. I am. It's just and, Speed Racer. And the hero racer, who is, of course, an attractive female played by mm. Brooke Shields. Linda Evans. Linda Evans. All right. She uh, uh, she ends up like hitching a ride in their van, and they help her do the last run of the race in their because it turns out their van is also souped up somehow. a little bit. Yeah, and like Lee is like fighting mm. people on the roof of the van as they like getting to the end of the finish line, and it's great <laughs> fighting those orphans. Mm. Uh, I came I came up with uh, an episode called the Einstein Document, which is clearly a ripoff of the Iger Sanction. Nice, where there's uh, they have to go mountain climbing. It's a mountain climbing episode, and they have to stop a mountain climbing assassin. Yeah. Because it's that's that's a Clint Eastwood movie. I love it. Um, Bravo Avenue. They're locked in a police station that's beset on all sides by ninjas. Oh, so it's Sultan Precinct Thirteen. Yeah, nice. Uh, which is in itself real Bravo. Who so. plays Who plays the convicted criminal who they begrudgingly work with and eventually Ooh, learn uh, b- the love? B- 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 what like third rate? Yeah, like seventies character actor. Yeah, you got to get someone in there. Well, my, I, I I wanted John Saxon on the show. So John, Saxon. Get John Saxon. John in Saxon. There. Do and uh, one minute later, vanished. They have to crack down on a car smuggling ring. 
but that is very, very good at stealing cars in 60 seconds or less. It's gone in 60 seconds. Got it. That might be a little obscure for them at the time. Because the original movie was pretty fringe, but okay. Uh, but, cool. you know, car car thieves. Car thieves. They'll they, probably even... They would have seen that movie. They'll probably even pull a MacGyver and actually just take footage from Gone in 60 Seconds and cut it. Yeah, why not? You know? it. Yeah. <laughs> why not? Mm, those are my ideas. Those are good ideas. Last question. But, no, they're not, but okay. We never met Terry McAllister. Okay. Who should mm. have played Terry McAllister? Oh, jeez. Um, they run into her at the end of season five. Mm-hmm. Turns out she herself is a master spy who's been leading Lee on a merry chase and everything he's done up until this point was all part of her master plan. She was moving the pieces into position um, to get everyone into checkmate. I have uh, my uh, theory about who should play Terry McAllister. Okay, who who do you think should have played Terry McAllister? Jennifer Tilly. Jennifer, Jennifer Tilly was far too young. No, she wasn't. She was starring in the, like, rom She was in Moving Violations, like, that same year. Really? Yeah, if she was in her 20s, but whatever, it's fine. It's about age appropriate. All right. Um, I would have chosen uh, Joan Collins. <laughs> Isn't she a little old? No, I don't think so. Well, maybe so, but sure, why not? Joan she could Collins play younger. would have loved to have played a 20-something actor. Yeah. yeah. A 20-something character. Actually, actually she's probably closer to Lee Van Cleef's age. Uh <laughs> I'm trying to think who's because I was thinking of her in Star Trek, but that was like a, like 20 years before, so never mind. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, not, Marina okay. Sirtis. There you go. She was in Death Wish a couple years after this. Yeah, she'd be okay. De- she was in Death Wish three. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Why not? Done. <laughs> Marina Sirtis could have done it. And in the end, Lee has to fight his daughter for the death, and they end up mm-hmm. taking each other out. And now Max is the new master, and it ends with him like walking down the street. Feeling pretty bittersweet about everything. Yeah, the story ended, but now what next? And then, I don't know, like... Uh, the Master 2. <laughs> well, like, who's... Oh, oh, uh, Will Wheaton gets thrown through a window next to him, and there's a freeze frame, and he's like, here we go again! Will Wheaton. We're really heavy on the Star Trek actors this episode. I like Star Trek actors. Like- he <laughs> okay. Last- I, like, I like him, too. It's just we're, we're clearly reliant on something here. Last question. Mm-hmm. Was the master canceled too soon? Oh hell no! God, <laughs> it's it's really <laughs> it's really bad. It, this isn't as boring as something like Doctor Strange, but no, uh, th- th- there's it's zippy. It moves. It's just there's nothing to uh, it. The, the the plots are all really simple. They're all recycled from other adventure shows, which is fine. But they're not doing anything to spice them up or using the characters of the premise to sort of add flavor to them. It's played it's, so straight. They're act, they're acting like the chemistry between Timothy Van Patten and Lee Van Cleef is going to save it. It's not that. Good. It's well, it's it's good, but it's not good enough. It's not yeah. like really adding a, a lot of texture or anything really. Um, it, it it's you, you say it's zippy. I disagree. The plots are not really well drawn out. They're not really presented in sort of a, an easily digestible way. When I say zippy, I don't mean well drawn out yeah. plots or anything like that. I just mean that like it's full of incident. Like, it's, I, it's full you, of incident, you, but it doesn't feel like anything's adding up. It doesn't feel like a plot is happening most this, of the time. This is not a show you watch. This is a show you put on in the background mm. while you're having dinner with your parents in 1984. And they and they kind of catch you up from scene to scene. And yeah. you, you kind of, your imagination fills in the gaps in yeah. a lot of ways. If you end up only catching about think, 15 minutes of this show because your parents are talking about their day and you're kind mm. of filling in the, the, the cracks, mm. you might think it's cool. Right. That's as far as this show gets. Mm-hmm. 
It's not very good. No, it's a bad it's, show. It's, it's just dull. It's, it's just it's, a dull program. And we wouldn't. Which <sighs> 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 we found the second hundred years. I don't feel. I don't feel like. <laughs> This is something it's like even a curio that you need to seek out if you're a Lee Van Cleef fan. Oh, God. Like Lee Van Cleef is just he's clearly slumming it. He's not bringing his A game. Lee Van Cleef had like 90 credits on his resume. Now, granted, this is like the only time that like I can think of that he starred in a show. He did a lot of guest spots, mm. did a lot of like four episode arcs or whatever. But this was his show. Yeah. And this, this, this was made because they got Lee Van Cleef. You know this, this is like, it was all resting on his fame. Like, Lee Van Cleef was like, there was a time... Especially given how many, how often they referenced his career. When you think about now, like, how many, like, great film actors or once great film actors go to television, they don't go to television to die. They go to television to revitalize their careers. Not anymore. Well, well now, nowadays, they go to television first. Movies well, are, are secondary well, these I was, days. I was thinking about someone like Kiefer Sutherland, who was a... Mm pretty big star in like the late 80s early 90s by the time 24 came around he basically couldn't get arrested he was not a star anymore 24 well, wasn't a big him, movie star anymore he yeah. was a movie star he couldn't open a film uh-huh. he could barely get in a film he ended, but he was big for tv for a tv show he was a uh-huh. good get and then 24 was a huge hit and that made him a bit of a star again yeah and then he made mirrors and screwed it all up well now he's <laughs> his, his new tv show designated survivor is apparently doing also a big well. hit yeah. so he's doing okay but uh, that that's that's what happened. Kira Sedgwick, she was in Phenomenon. She was a pretty big actor. Couldn't do it. Then she ended up being on that one cop show that everyone liked. Was it The Closer, I think? The Closer, yeah. Yeah, that was a pretty big hit. Boom. Big for mm-hmm. TV. Lee Van Cleef was big for TV. Yeah. Not big yeah, well, for movies. Was... For movies, he was respectable supporting the, role that is... references earlier work. It, in, in the late 70s and early 80s, there was a clear hierarchy of fame when it came to the media in which you appeared. You started in uh, big-time feature films, smaller dramas, TV miniseries, yeah. regular series, mm-hmm. and then tied at the bottom was dinner theater and cartoon voices. <laughs> <laughs> that this was the 70s and 80s like that that was your how far you had fallen which yeah. should give you a good idea of where orson wells was when he died if you were ever on a variety show making fun of one of your earlier roles you've already failed. you you yeah you were not you this was not going to get your foothold back this was yeah. just a paycheck this this was paying your rent this month uh, like that's that's that gig mm. it was not good but um you know what lee van cleef this isn't embarrassing for him I'll say this right now. He, he comes he across ha- he fine. This is not as good. This is not a good role for he's him. He's clearly he's not, he does well. You've seen some some of like uh, David Carradine's career where he's like clearly drunk on camera. Lee Van Cleef never hit the skids. He was always dignified. He was always a, a professional. He took he, it seriously. He did this as well as he could, and he is not bad in this show. Yeah. The show is bad. The it's not bad. his fault. But the show is bad. Timothy Van Patten. Timothy Van Patten. He's not bad either. He's charming enough. He's okay. He's, he's no Dempsey. Well, but I, don't, I, I don't. I kind of buy him as a heartthrob. I don't buy him as a heartthrob. I buy him as the boy next door who eventually gets the girl. Okay. I don't buy him as the as the sexy hunk, and I don't buy him as the action star. I feel like the real beyond the whole white ninja concept in general. Like uh-huh. if if we have to do that because it's 1984 and no one knows better yet. Okay, fine. We got Lee Van Cleef. We're just going to go with that. Fine. 
Timothy Van Patten's not the guy to team him up with. No, that's that's a mistake. I think he's he's perfectly okay, but he's really miscast mm. here as both action star and heartthrob. You need someone who could smolder. <laughs> you needed like uh, Rob Lowe. Rob Lowe would be okay. Yeah, Rob Lowe was a, was a sex machine back then. You know, like he was. I, a big, I think it was too big a star to show on something like and this. And I was trying to think if he had done Oxford Blues yet. Like I, I he think was, he was already a, a known quantity. Okay, but, yeah. he was he was on the cusp, regardless. Yeah. But maybe like someone who was just about to become Rob Lowe. There you, you know? go, a like Rob Lowe like, type. Yeah. Like how old was was Lorenzo Lamas at this time? Too young <laughs> because that's who you needed yeah. basically, and it did not work out. Um, so that's the master. That's the master. Do we have any letters? Uh, we get sacks and sacks of letters. That's fun. Uh, if you want to email us at uh, uh, canceled too soon, mm. you can email us bmoviespodcast at gmail.com. That's bmoviespodcast, all one word, uh-huh. at gmail.com. Uh, you can email us with your suggestions, your questions. Do you remember watching these shows when they came out? You want to share with us your memories and experiences? That would be totally, totally awesome. Um, and at the moment, we are also accepting uh, some suggestions uh, for our Patreon account and for our big award show we're doing at the end of April. So yeah, we've been getting a lot of, uh, of your, uh, suggestions for that very thing. Yeah. Uh, we've been asking you to give us your top three favorite episodes, uh, rank them from one to three, rank them from one to three and, uh, whatever gets the most votes. We'll pay attention to that. And we'll probably give you a little bit more content along those lines. So your vote really matters. Mm. Also, everyone who sends us an email, one email per customer, uh, with their votes, will be entered into a drawing, and you'll be able to pick a future episode of Cancel Too right. Soon, as long as it meets um, our rules, and we can find it. So far, and I don't think I'm tipping our hand or anything, uh, the votes have been all over the place. It's actually pretty encouraging. Yeah. It, it's nice to know that we haven't been totally mm. screwing up, and that there's someone who likes all the different content. Uh, the other thing that we're accepting for is, uh, again, in April, we are going to be starting our own Patreon account. And we want to make sure that we offer you guys really cool content for your financial contributions if you choose to sign up. So we would love, 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 love if you emailed us and let us know what excites you, what you'd be willing to throw in some money for. <laughs> we have a lot of great ideas. We have a lot of cool stuff we're already planning to put together. We but also have a lot of really bad ideas. Tons of bad <laughs> ideas. No idea. Some of our bad ideas are really fun. Oh, I know. Mm. Uh, but again, we'll be starting that up soon. And again, if you have an idea, something you would like to see us do or offer or provide or make or build mm. i don't know <laughs> or sing sing we'll uh, sing something for mm. you just let us know and in we'll fact take it in, in fact our first uh, email is about that very thing okay. uh this comes from brian he's he uh one, he wants for a patreon prize uh a chance to attend a screening with us hmm. and have an in-person discussion about it on the podcast well that would only work for our local listeners unfortunately yeah we can't and, afford to fly you out unless we get a lot of patreon subscribers uh, you know what if we get enough that we can like just sort of afford plane tickets Sure. Well, one thing we're going to do is we're going to put together a system where if we get a certain number of Patreon subscribers, we'll do something super cool. Mm. I'm not going to tell you what that is yet, but that's one thing we have planned. Um, so that's that's one suggestion we've had. A lot of people suggest um, uh, sort of bonus episodes where we do sort of side content, like mm. miniseries and TV movies. And that's something we're, we're definitely toying with. Um, we also have some thoughts about merch. Mm. We have some thoughts about uh, Google Hangouts. Um Maybe some other yeah. exclusive videos or prizes, uh, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Anything else? Um, you know what? All of our uh, entries about um, cancel too soon are uh, votes. So I'm kind okay. of kind of have to. S- Here we go. Um, oh, no, that's a, about that's from the B movies podcast. Had, we had a, so yeah, we had a Space Rangers one recently with some stuff that was. Oh, that's true. Um, 
here we go. This one comes from Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, I'm obviously biased, but that Space Rangers episode was great. Glad to hear Sergio approves. <laughs> he gives his votes. Uh, if you're looking for Patreon, a Patreon reward, what about something like all right, an all right, fine reward where you do Firefly or an episode of Firefly? Uh, we have said that we rather staunchly that we're never doing Firefly. Uh, Firefly had a movie. It was called Serenity. It had its chance. They, it was canceled. They brought it back. If we get enough, if you guys are insistent enough, we we're, might we're, talk about we're, Firefly. We're thinking about maybe putting that in uh, somewhere as uh, like a hidden part. Uh, again, I'm not sure what we could possibly add to Firefly. Your fandom probably says more than what we would have to say. There is there no show we get asked about more often than Firefly. The Firefly. By, by quite mm. a substantial margin. And we've been kind of anti-doing it, partially because it makes us seem like rebels. It makes us feel cool, but uh, also it doesn't fit our roles. But we have a lot of requests, and we have some ideas about yeah, well, what we're going to, to do. Is like, Firefly. I'm sure that's more work. Oh, if we he says also, could you do mini series? I'm sure that's more work for you, but it doesn't seem it does seem like you could do that sort to throw a bone to those who clamor for this stuff that exists outside your rules. Well, mini series are outside our rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the whole point is we we want to see something fail on this show. <laughs> That's the point. We don't necessarily just want to critique entertainment. We want to s- analyze something and whether or not it needed to exist. Hence the name of the show. Cancel too soon. That that being said, that's the sort of thing where if we did that, that might be exclusive Patreon content. There you go. So like if you contribute something, we might well, review miniseries or TV movies. But I we insi- don't want we don't want that sort of content either to distract right. from uh, the TV series that we do. We tried that a little bit in the last year we're with mixed results some people loved it some people didn't um but um also we want to make sure that everyone who doesn't subscribe on patreon uh gets all this all the right content <laughs> any cancel too soon stuff you get it but maybe that's the sort of thing patreon subscription you get mini series reviews anyway uh he says the thing about space rangers is that you can see a hodgepodge of other sci-fi shows slash movies the banshees always even as a kid struck me as a very evocative of the xenomorphs uh from alien mm-hmm. uh and going back for the going back for the kid did strike me as reminiscent of some of the newt stuff from aliens yeah the banshee episode uh, was very alien yeah. Yeah. uh jojo's character is pretty standard uh sci-fi amazon stuff and xylan is um not a million miles miles away from wharf uh, that said, you can't knock the show's ambition. Rewatching the show, it seems like the writers, directors, producers, and some of the cast had their hearts in the right place, even if their wallets weren't. Yeah, that was our biggest complaint, was the show was just dirt cheap. Super cheap. Yeah. Uh, people wanted to do a pulpy, action-packed sci-fi show with weird aliens, starships, crazy weapons, and by God, that's what they tried to make. Uh, How well it was executed is a separate matter, but they tried. Hmm. Um, so, thank mm. you. And uh, yeah. again, he... Christian sent us Space Rangers. We reviewed Space Rangers. We, if you're not comfortable with the Patreon thing, we do still have our Amazon wish list. Mm-hmm. You can donate a television series to the show via Amazon. Uh, and we've had a ton of donations. We're in the money. We're gonna be. <laughs> we're gonna be f- filling the show out with these contributions for like over a year. You guys sent us so much. So we, thank you so much we, for your generosity. We seriously have That's over 50 great. contributions. Like mm-hmm. it's it's going to take a while to get through it all, but they all help. Um, you know, it does cost money to do this show, and uh, some of these shows that we want to do are mm. expensive. And so you guys have been really generous, and we thank you all, and we're going to get to them as as fast as we possibly mm. can. But 
Do you have one more? Anything else? Uh, oh, this one comes from Omar. He just says, Dear Cancel Too Soon, I just found your podcast today. Huh. I think this podcast is great. Yay. My first episode I listened to was Birds of Prey. I loved it, guys. My question is, when are you going to get to Firefly? <laughs> uh Again, run, run, run the series back a little bit and listen to that. Part yeah, again. rewind a bit, um, but we got al- to. Also, I'd like to suggest a so far one season show that is amazing called Sweet Slash Vicious. I'm not uh, familiar with that. One. Yeah, keep it up, you guys. Best Omar. We will look into Sweet Slash Vicious. Thank mm. you very, very much. Um, next week on Cancel Too Soon, we'll be back with our second MST3K themed episode. Mm-hmm. This one is weirder. <laughs> the master was actually featured on Mystery Science Theater 3000. What we're doing next week was supposed to be a follow-up of sorts. Uh, when Joel Hodgson left the show, I think it was in 94, uh, he decided to put together uh, something else he was very passionate about, a sketch comedy program uh, that was live. The idea was that he was going to do live comedy, which is something he missed from television. And he came up with an idea for something called the TV Wheel. And the TV Wheel... Uh, well, they spent a lot of time explaining the premise, so we'll get to it. But yeah. it was a live sketch comedy show created by Joel Hodgson. So uh, it lasted one episode. Uh, it, he made a pilot. It didn't air until a couple years later. Comedy Central decided to pick it up, and some of the cast became more famous. Mm-hmm. So, so they, they decided, decided to air that one. They said to air that one episode. So. We have a pilot for a sketch comedy show created by Joel Hodgson called The TV Wheel. And if you uh, if you want to look for it, you can find it pretty easily online if you want to watch along. Mm. And uh, we will we will share our thoughts. And won't that be fun? <laughs> because that's what we do. It will be a delight because this is how we roll at Cancel Too Soon. We roll like this. Wee. That's how we roll. Uh-oh. We roll like this. And you can follow us at CancelCast on Twitter. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. We are on iTunes. We are on Stitcher. We're on a couple of other uh, services as well. Wherever you find us, please, please leave us a review. Uh, star re- rating, couple of sentences. If you can't afford to, to contribute to the show in any way and we, you want to help out, that helps a lot. It, uh, and uh, we, we prefer uh, five-star reviews, but be honest, it's fine. It would be really hypocritical of us if we didn't tell you to be honest. So obviously we like praise. Who doesn't? But we want you to be fair. So, But even just any review just helps people know that the show is being listened to and it, that helps all those search engines put find, us up find the top us, and, Yeah, find us more easily. Exactly. Because so, wouldn't it be great mm. if we became the biggest podcast on the internet? Well, I mean, right now we're ju- we're just behind This American Life and, and Serial. Mm-hmm. I think those two and then yeah, us. We and just passed All Things Considered, and I feel pretty good about that. <laughs> so, thanks. Mm. Uh, okay, seriously. Everybody, thank you very, very much for listening. You guys are awesome. Feel free to email us, bmoviespodcast at gmail.com. We'll be back next week with the TV wheel, and we'll accept all of your votes for our best episodes ever and all of your suggestions for our Patreon stuff. And um, that's a wrap. We'll see you next season.